Welcome and uh, thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send uh, Ray, myself and our distinguished guests your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV and we'll do our best to answer them. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce my co-host. He's the founder and CEO of Constellation Research, best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business. I regularly see him on TV, on Bloomberg and CNBC and Fox Business. In my humble opinion, he's one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWAMG0. Welcome Ray Wong to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Bala Ashtar. He is the number one follow on for CIOs and CMOs on Twitter. A lot of insightful comments, author himself, and more importantly, on business television everywhere and keynoting to CEOs in places like the Harvard Club. Anyways, um, let's talk about our next guest and a very interesting conversation point, especially a very, very interesting topic that is picking up steam. So who do we have with us today, Paula? It's our privilege to uh, start episode 175 of Disrupt TV with Irina Cronin, CEO of Infinite Retina. Irene serves as CEO of Infinite Retina, which provides research and business strategy to help companies succeed in spatial computing. So we're gonna be talking about AI, augmented and virtual reality today. Irina was previously CEO of Transformation Group, which advised decision makers on business strategies related to artificial intelligence, augmented and virtual reality, machine learning, facial recognition, robotics, autonomous vehicles, and related disruptive technologies. Previous to this, Irina worked several years as an equity research analyst with extensive experience at evaluating both public and private companies. You can follow her work on Twitter at I-R-E-N-A-C-R-O-N-I-N. -N. Welcome, Irina, to the Shrub Thank you. So good to see you again, Bella and Ray. Great to be on the show. <laughs> hey, Irina, it's awesome to see you. You know, you're in this very interesting topic area and you are, I mean, you're calling it spatial computing, and there's a reason for that. And I think it's really important for people to set the stage, understand why it's called spatial computing, uh, and start there. And you're also working with like one of our good friends, Robert Scoble, on this area. So, so talk about this and talk about why it's so hot. Sure. Okay. So spatial computing is not a new term, but it's something that we picked up on to explain what's going on uh, with technologies that happen to be inter intersecting at this moment. So uh, spatial computing has to do with any kind of technology that you would need to have to move through a 3D world. So that includes computer vision, um, a machine learning that would help, you, help them understand where you are at that position in space, um, augmented reality, virtual reality, et cetera. So that includes also autonomous vehicles would be in that uh, uh, category as well. Um. Gardner believes that this year, 100 million people will use AR for online and in-store in uh, purchase. Uh, we've been talking about advancements in augmented and virtual reality and spatial computing. What excites you? What, what, are, what are some of the most interesting advancements that you've seen in this space? And you know, which one of these advancements do you believe will help streamline and really accelerate, turbocharge the adoption of some of these uh, technologies? Sure. Um, it's interesting that uh, whenever you have new technologies, everybody focuses, tends to focus on uh, one or two new things that are happening in that industry. So for instance, with AR and VR, everybody is focused so much on headsets, right? So anytime you read any article, it's about what, whether this headset works in comparison to the other one and, and all that kind of stuff. 
when you when say when you say headset, you mean like like an Oculus headset? Yes. As an example, as a okay. yeah. So for example, there's a, a wonderful headset that came out from Oculus, the Oculus Quest. Mm. Uh, we can get into that later. Uh, it will help a lot in terms of how the industry uh, is progressing. Um, but what I'm really so I can actually talk about the Oculus Quest a little bit after this. Um, I'm really into technologies that kind of uh, are invisible, that uh, enable the, the tech, the industry to move along. So for example, um, when you have voice uh, interfacing. Yep. So uh, one thing that will be really, really important when you have both AR and VR when it gets up to snuff is that it could recognize your voice commands really, really well so that you can move along when you, let's say you do retail or anything that you do, even if you're playing a game, um, it can really know what you want in, in, that, in that particular app. Um, another thing that I'm really into is the mapping technology that is, is really happening with AR. So there's a company called 60.ai that is called an AR cloud, basically. Um, and it's not, a, it's not really a cloud. It, it's a combination of being able to store very heavy information in the cloud, mm -hmm. along with being able to capture the scenery in front of you in 3D to be able to render it in real time and then use that for whatever business and in the future, it'll be fun for regular people to use that as well. So um, and Oculus Quest, I do have to throw in there. So I, I am excited about it. Um, Basically, with the Oculus Quest that came out last year, um, the headset is now featherless. That means that it doesn't have a wire connected to a computer. Um, it's sixed off, which means that you can move around in each, any direction that you want uh, to be able to play games or do whatever you want to do in it. And it, it's fairly, uh, has enough power so that both gamers and regular consumers are happy with it as well. Yeah, that's pretty wild. And when we think about what's changed over the years with AR and VR, right? I mean, this has been massive advancements. Like, I remember being at the Matayo show in Munich yeah. in 2009, talking about the future, right? I mean, you're seeing, like, the cars. You're seeing like, the way, like, things were, like, popping out. You, like, you point something there, and the parts were all falling apart, right? And, and you could see, like, the advertising and all the other things that, that you could possibly do. And then it got quiet. So yes. what's the difference, right? What's changed in this decade? Where's the most interesting advancements that are happening in this space? Okay, so as you're mentioning, it takes sometimes decades for this to really, a new technology to really seep in and all of the apps that I'm talking about and all the invisible stuff that most people don't know about to actually be so well honed that everything works super better than it used to be before. So, um, Basically, even though Oculus was working on this in like the two, 2010s, right, when it, when it was coming out in, in, in um, uh, not for consumer use, uh, for engineers to just uh, play around with, um, ever since then, <laughs> there's been a lot of changes having to do with the amount of uh, power that you have in the headset. Um, if you can see the pixels, basically for VR, especially all kinds of issues having to do with outside light coming in and ruining your optics is, are being updated. Um, yep. What I said before about not being connected to a computer is, is really, really important. Mm -hmm. um, the more power that you can pack into a headset to be able to, to be standalone, uh, 
the more you're going to get people to actually adopt it. Mm -hmm. So for VR, especially, those are the things. Um, for AR, there's all kinds of issues having to do with battery power. Uh, I know. Temperature, you think heat. the battery power is going to get better? The film is going to get better? The chips are going to get better? Are we there? I mean, it's 10 years. <laughs> I think we're almost there, actually. Um, <laughs> because there are thousands of people working on this in, in different industries to make sure this is happening. large fruit company I know is working on something. I mean, we'll see if they <laughs> yeah, do something. Large, yeah, that's right. So <laughs> the idea with Apple is that they let out leak uh, something uh, very strategically that they're planning to have two headsets come out, one in, in 2022 and the other one in 2023. 2022, the leak is that that's going to be some kind of mixed reality VR, AR kind of uh, headset and, and software associated with that as well. Um, the one in 2023 is going to be more heavy duty AR. So uh, we're really looking forward to, uh, Robert and I are really looking forward to the Apple headset. There are headsets coming out. Um, uh, Niantic uh, just announced recently that they're working with a headset with Qualcomm. Uh, so that they can actually show their games the way they've always wanted to. Um, and they were not able to do that before because other headsets didn't accommodate what they wanted to do. So, and there well, are other also, players. It's the death. Yeah, it's also the death, right, of how we can actually, I mean, that, that they, they've, they're, I can't talk anymore, actually, I'm not allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get really into it. Um, with, with the Niantic, the, the idea was that um, there are certain limitations, there's lots of limitations. I mean, if you want to talk about being really free to move around and use um, spatial computing, AR and VR, et cetera, um, there, there's going to be a certain limitation to what you can do, even like going past 2030, you know, going 10 years. It, it'll take a while before you, whatever you want to do, you could do. Okay, so for example, you can't really feel anything um, in spatial computing now, right? So haptics are like really yeah. far behind. Um, uh, you can't really smell anything. So there's people that are trying to do that, but it's, it's, it could be kind of flaky. So it has to be done really in a very sophisticated way. Um, it was somewhere where everyone threw up. The smells were not working. The haptics and the smell got people really dizzy. It's, and it, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, it's like jokey kind of, you no, know, we want this to be so real that you really feel like you are in this situation and you are transformed in a different place. And you have forgotten that you even have a headset on, um, et cetera, all there's, that kind of stuff. There's too much sulfur from the smoke bomb kind of smell. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, the thing with Niantic with the headset, especially just to give you an example of a technology which other headsets really didn't get yet. Um, if you want to have thousands, even millions in a game together doing things in, in AR where the different perspectives of each person, each person's perspective is represented. So um, let's say you're looking at an object from, from one end, you see it the way reliably like you should, and the other person sees it in their perspective, multiply that times thousands or millions, and headsets are, we're not, are not, still not able to do that. So we're talking about social games where you can accommodate that kind of thing. How much does eight? Sorry, how much dependency on edge computing or technologies like 5G where you can, again, capture data in real time, render and, and, and provide the visual effects that you need in, in, in real time? 
Will adoption of technologies like 5G allow you to be able to do more real-time computing and, and, and display uh, um, with, with augmented or virtual reality? Absolutely. So let me give you a little disclaimer first. Um, 5G, the way that you just described it, is not going to be available for another three or four years, mm -hmm. at least. Um, but yes, uh, that will definitely make a huge difference. Um, I work a lot with entertainment companies, and um, they're really looking forward to having this capability. Of They are rendering live now, but it, it could be, get clunky, and it's not as much information as they'd like to put through in the pipes to be able to get everything done. Um, so having full capability for 5G is awesome. Edge computing is especially important when it comes to headsets for AR. So um, you want to be able to uh, have those images at the edge, uh, whatever you're looking at, so it doesn't get held up at any point in the cloud. Um, I'll give you another example about this. So we represent uh, Mojo Vision for strategic partnerships, and they just came out out of stealth. Um, uh, basically, they're working on a contact lens that will give them augmented invisible computing. Okay, so for that uh, kind of um, new technology, you definitely have to use edge computing, mm -hmm. um, as you can imagine. So it, it, it's, it, it'll be awesome for a whole range of different products. And same yeah, especially in, especially in installs, market. right? Stadiums and arenas and those kinds of oh. things. You can do that. Yeah. yeah so, but what um, about robotic surgery? Right? Like, are we ready for that? Like, get the whole headsets, get a whole theater, people are doing like robotic surgery. Ah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they've already, yeah, ready they, they've done robotic surgery yeah. now for a number of years. Um, obviously, not for everything under the sun. Mm. Um, it needs a lot of FDA uh, approval. Um, and uh, obviously, patient, um, you know, wanting to do something like that. Um, so, digitally speaking, outside of spatial computing for robotic surgery, it, it's not a big deal that's happening. When it comes to using uh, spatial computing, now that's a new frontier, um, using, let's say, AR. You wouldn't use VR because VR you know, closes you up and you can't see the patient. So you'd, you'd use something like AR, um, like an uh, overlaid visual of AR on the patient in surgery. And there's a company right now called MediView that is actually working on that. Yeah, so I'd say that's about two or three years out. Are the industries that are pioneering, you know, is it retail, is it healthcare, is it manufacturing, um, field service, perhaps line of business within the various industries? Who's, who's uh, leading the innovation in, in this space? Is there a particular sector that, that stands out? Okay, and, so, oh yeah, go ahead. And why, what's the driving What's motivating this, the, the leading sectors to really you know, double down on, on uh, spatial computing? Okay, so uh, as we described, spatial computing is quite a large space. Yeah. It, 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 we, included, we include the technology in the spatial community because they intersect in many ways. Mm -hmm. But having said that, just like any other large space like entertainment, which is a vertical, there's lots of different ways to chunk up and understand what's going on. So um, I'd have to say that with, um, with VR and with, with regard to VR and AR and then autonomous cars, um, et cetera, computer vision, 
uh, a lot of these uh, technologies flow into many different industry verticals. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'll give, so let's, let's start with AR first. So there's been um, some uh, uh, good things that are happening uh, with AR, mobile AR and, and retail, but it hasn't gone all the way in terms of consumers being completely wowed by it for many reasons. Uh, mostly having to do with having to hold your phone up to be able to get things done. And yeah, and um, when you have headsets, which will be fairly soon because there are companies coming out with AR headsets this year, quite a few of them actually, uh, but then they will have to face a Apple very soon, right? Um, once you have the headset, um, and I, we know that Salesforce is like really excited about having AR capability for their clients to use for comparisons in, in retail situations, even in supermarkets, wherever they go, uh, because it can do a lot of things like um, comparisons between products, um, obviously uh, for advertising and marketing. So for AR, especially with retail, and then it's also used in logistics, which mm. is awesome. Um, logistics, they, that area has used uh, flat AR, what I call not really AR, but like uh, overlays of visuals since like 2008. Um, but lately they've been using more 3D uh, AR with some voice capability. So logistics is going to be another industry that is going to be majorly disrupted by AR as well as manufacturing in some kinds of manufacturing. Um, for VR, VR is a little uh, both limited, more limited and wider in a way. So uh, companies have been using VR for training <laughs> internally. Uh, Walmart bought, you know, many hundreds of thousands of headsets for their salespeople, right. um, but they're not the only ones. There are ones that are now doing tests for, for training. Um, there has, there's stuff with empathy with HR uh, for issues having to do with workplace uh, uh, issues. Um, so training is a, real, a, a really big area. You could also use VR in manufacturing um, for training there as well. Um, uh, now, if you want to go into the other areas like autonomous vehicles, that's another boat. <laughs> and flying cars, by the way, oh, which uh, we do think is going to happen, but maybe not within the next two to three years. Yeah. We, we were at Consumer Electronics Show and... Uh, one of our clients, Harman Samsung, demonstrated integration of CRM in the car. And to, to be able to safely operate a car and look at sales, marketing, customer service, cases, opportunities, and leads, and have that projected on the screen uh, was, was, was interesting. Uh, you know, before we get to autonomous level four, five, six, where we can safely do these things, taking advantage of heads-up display on your windshield Yes, is is uh, it was was you know pretty cool and I thought well received. Uh, we believe that um, AR capabilities in cars. Obviously, now it's moving towards autonomous cars because it's all moving at the same time. Right. Um, is going to be really huge, um, even though there's some uh, backlash from older consumers that, of course, like to have all the knobs and cars and stuff. But just like anything. Once that gets, you know, goes away, people get uh, acclimated and they're like, wow, this is really awesome, yeah. right? To have this capability. But it's not only for practical uses. So uh, AR uh, has a, will have a lot of practical apps and uses. And, and that's why it's wider than, than VR. 
but it will also include entertainment. So Elon Musk lately has been talking about including both VR and AR in his vehicles in the future for entertainment purposes. Sure, sure. While driving, I hope. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, uh, Cruise just, uh, if, if you saw their model of what the new car is going to look like. Yeah, you're just, you're, 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 you're sitting there and you can do whatever you want. You can work, you can have fun. Yeah, while well, you're driving. Well, well here we it's are. Driving. It's Friday, Disrupt TV. And uh, we've got Irina Cronin, CEO at Infinite Retina. You can find out more with her at Irina Cronin, I-R-E-N-A-C-R-O-N-I-N. She's one of our speakers at CCE this year. And more importantly, don't talk to her in Mandarin because she might be able to speak back. All right. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks yeah. for having me, guys. Thanks. Hey, thanks a lot for being on the show. Appreciate it. So, one of the unknown the, facts. <laughs> the edge of, uh, you know, uh, new technologies. And uh, what an awesome job she has because all these cool vendors show her technology that might not be available for two, three, four years. And uh, she gets to see and, and preview uh, the magic of what's, what's to come. It's uh, our privilege to have two guests on our next segment. Uh, I'm going to uh, start with Lana Finichel, Senior Manager, Organizational Excellence, Leadership Excellence at the Special Olympics, being in the business of changing hearts and minds to create a more inclusive world, quality, sustainable, and efficiency are at the core of Lana's daily operations. The portfolio projects that Lana leads range from leadership and capacity development of global leaders to uh, the organization's operational planning, integration, global uh, census collection and data analysis. We're going to learn a lot about Special Olympics and she was a winner. She was recognized at the Constellation Connect Enterprise Conference as a supernova, super thought leader. So we're going to learn more about that. We also have uh, Patula Kursamalis, Senior Vice President and Product Management at Skillsoft. Uh, as Senior Vice President of Product Management, Patula is responsible for product development, innovation, user experience, design, so important including the launch of the award-winning uh, Percipero uh, Intelligent Learning Platform. Patula leads a product organization in agile product development and lean product practices of prototyping, testing, uh, and, and ensuring that we're building products that the customers will love. And we actually have a testimonial right here. <laughs> uh, you can follow <laughs> on Twitter at P-O-T-O-U-L-A. Welcome both to Disrupt TV. Thank you. So much. Hi. Welcome. We got a whole New Jersey crew here as I'm as I'm doing this from the uh, New York airport. And so hey, think about this, right? I want people to understand. Like most people probably understand what the Special Olympics are and and what you're all about. So Lana, if you can share a little bit about that. And Patula, talk about why you guys came into partnership because I think that's a very important story. One of the things that you guys shared with our guests at the Supernova Awards, uh, you know, at the uh, Supernova Gala. So we'd love to hear a little bit about that and let's start start with that point. Sure. Thanks so much, Ray. Well, um, it's a huge privilege for us to be here today. Um, in, in fact, um, I do hope that most of the people in the audience would know what Special Olympics is. Uh, but for those who don't, um, Special Olympics is, is a global movement that really unleashes the, the human spirit through the transformation of um, transformational power of sport. Um, really, what we're, uh, what our and goal is to create inclusive communities around the world that are inclusive of people of any level of intellectual ability. Um, and we do so using um, sport as our main vehicle. Um, however, we also utilize um, additional channels such as education, healthcare, and then most importantly, community that includes the leadership component. Um, 
Um, so um, very ambitious goals ahead, ahead for us and um, really excited to be in this field of, um, of transforming um, our, social, our social lives, our social reality. That's awesome. And then yeah. the, the Leadership uh, Academy and the partnership with Skillsoft, talk about that, please. Um, sure. Well, um, uh, if our Leadership Academy, let me just um, take you a little bit back, um, back in 2014 when um, Special Olympics was um, close to being 50. Um, we really realized that there was a huge gap in the capacity of our global leaders. Um, and um, we needed to come up with a new solution for that, right? Uh, we were also embarking on our new strategic direction and um, analyzing and understanding that that gap in the capacity development of our leaders, um, we knew that we need to, to transform the way we do business. And we've done so um, with the um, introduction of our Leadership Academy, our award-winning Leadership Academy, which, uh, which was in, indeed recognized during the Constellation uh, this year. Um, it, was, it was an amazing experience. And um, I'm, I'm happy to kind of explain a little bit more about really what makes it so innovative, um, uh, the, the, the content of it and the, the whole design. Uh, but I want to give Patula an opportunity to um, explain a little bit because uh, one of the definitely key components um, that we um, attribute um, the, the success of our Leadership Academy is the partnership, is the ability to allow our leaders um, to, to, to complement their face-to-face -face learning, which is um, very um, innovative and very um, interactive in its own, but then supplemented uh, with the online technology and access to uh, the learning platform um, through Skillsoft Percipio is, is really what makes it um, uh, very sustainable and, and very transformative. Um, experience for our leaders. So, Patul, if you want to speak a little bit about our partnership, I'm happy to expand on yeah, that. Yeah, talk about how you got started, why you guys, uh, you know, wanted to do the partnership yeah. and, uh, and how, how it's been formed over the years. Yeah, our mission at Skillsoft is to enable our learners to reach their full potential. And you do that through education, through learning, through continuously evolving your skills and what you're able to do. And the, the Special Olympics organization is huge. They operate in 200 countries. They have thousands and thousands of volunteers. I mean, think about like corporate America. What companies are the scale of Special Olympics? Like it would be hard. It's a small group of companies that have the reach of Special Olympics. And they achieve this through this massive organization. And, uh, and they want to create a mission-driven um, mindset, a mission-driven approach, right? And so they have to reach so many people across the globe. It's very difficult to do that with a program that's all a face-to-face -face program. And so our partnership has been all about expanding that reach and creating that global reach to enable this global program for thousands of people. So we provide the platform. We provide a lot of the learning that's on-demand e-learning that complements and is woven really nicely into the Leadership Academy. So it becomes a two-part program. You have the face-to-face -face part, part of it um, that lasts for a period of time. And then you have the whole rest of the year where we motivate and we engage learners to keep going in, the, in their learning. So it's so been the a technology, great The technology you provide is something that allows everybody to come together. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, our, our platform is a learner experience platform. So it's designed all about the learner. So it's designed to remove the friction and the barriers of learning, right? 
you know, it's possible for learning to become like, you know, like your new year's resolutions, you know, we're still in January. So I can say that like you have really good intentions. Right. And then life gets in the way, you know, there've been some studies that one of the thought leaders in this space, Josh Burson has said that people have like 26 minutes a week to learn. Right. And when you think about the pace of change, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's such a precious time and you want to spend it, you know, as well as you can. And, you know, what we focus on is how do we make the most of the time that our learners have to learn and how do we remove all the barriers and the friction so that they can learn more and it becomes just part of their regular life. You know, they go to work, they learn, they, you know, it becomes a cycle. Um, so, uh, you know, skills are changing so quickly. Pace of changes is accelerating and uh, you have to keep up. You know, we want to make it easy for, for Special Olympics leaders to be able to keep up and expand their skills and for uh, the Special Olympics organization overall uh, to have access to uh, this platform. And, and just to add, because from our perspective, um, uh, operating in the environment of um, limited capacity and limited resources, um, we obviously we have to engage our diverse audiences from around the world. And we do so by organizing um, our leaders in cohorts, typically done by regions. And, and we do provide the opportunity for face-to-face -face interaction. However, for us to be able to also give them the opportunity for that ongoing, for that continuous learning, for access, for, for, the, for the continuous development as leaders, um, um, really and truly would have not been uh, possible without their access to the online platform that they have. That's, that's awesome. So, I mean, so you, you have 200 countries, so obviously distributed model, that's a challenge. Uh, you have um, you have a framework around, uh, you know, um, competition, and athletes, you have a goal of uh, diversity and inclusion. So all of these requirements to build a, a learning path, uh, is this unique to Special Olympics organization or as you develop this, uh, what were some of the commonalities that, that you saw developing this uh, particular learning platform for Special Olympics versus you know, other enterprise and businesses? Yeah, so um, our our platform, uh, Percipio, is uh, is a platform that a lot thousands of customers use. So mm -hmm. wasn't specifically designed for Special Olympics, um, but a lot of the content that is uh, valuable for leaders of mm -hmm. all types of organizations are exactly what Special Olympics was interested in. So when you think about leadership, there's really three parts. There's leading yourself. How do you have executive presence? How do you manage? with accountability, with empathy, with emotional intelligence. So that's like leading yourself. Then you're leading your team. How do you build a high performing team? And then you're leading your business. You know, how do you build innovation? How do you build a culture of execution? And execution and project management is so important with Special Olympics. They're managing these massive events mm -hmm. with thousands and thousands of athletes. And they're growing tremendously in Asia and in India. They have huge numbers of people. And so, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to train so many people to deliver these events with excellence and with the culture of inclusion. And uh, a lot of that has to be taught. And that's what uh, Lana and her team have taken on, is how do you teach that globally? That's amazing. That's amazing. No, it's important. And you've got, you know, accessibility issues that you have to address. I mean, so it, it takes a very complicated platform to do that. So, so tell me, what, what, are, what are some of the popular courses? What are people doing here? Uh, is, is there something that's like more popular than others? Like, you know, yeah. it's a leadership academy. So I'm always curious just to see what are hot courses and what's happening. 
So, uh, so the the leadership courses that um, that the Special Olympics team is doing is focusing on leading yourself, your team, and your business, right? But some of the most popular courses are things that everybody needs: communication, mm -hmm. writing effective emails and instant messages. If you can believe, is one of the top courses. Um, other types of business communication are really popular. Teamwork is very popular. How to be an effective member of a team. Um, we have a lot of of customers including Special Olympics, that, that see themselves as in service of their customers, right? So there are a lot of customer service um, courses that are very popular, like how to interact with your customer, how to give good customer service. And then we have other courses that are more around technologies, right? So, um, so when you think about how jobs are changing, right, even a job like a receptionist, you can't really be a receptionist if you don't know Microsoft Outlook, if you don't know Yammer, if you don't know CRM platforms, if you can't set up a meeting space so that there could be a multimedia presentation in that room, you can't be a receptionist anymore. And wow. so we have so all that type of training in the platform. You've got life skills, wow. you've got other things that are different advanced courses. Exactly. Uh, that, that is crazy. Uh, and, 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 yeah, and just, just to add, I, I actually um, want to highlight that from, from, uh, from the organizer perspective, right? Uh, having the visibility, some of the access to some of the data analytics that your platform offers us is really invaluable um, because as Petula mentioned, um, what's what really beneficial for us is that we can um, supplement the content that is developed and delivered face-to-face -face and then um, give that opportunity to continue the leadership journey for our leaders on their own time. And obviously the content that we curate for them um, is corresponds with what we deliver face-to-face. Um, -face. However, um, the leaders also have access to thousands of other um, materials. And I think what, mm -hmm. what, what particularly important for us is the diversity, not only of the content itself, but also the diversity of the medium of the content, um, because our leaders have access to the books, to audiobooks, to some summaries of the books. Um, and, um, you know, I think very consistent to the trends that Petula just outlined, and I think with the general um, trends in the key skills um, that exist out there, our leaders are also very much drawn to the communication, developing their communication skills, in addition to some of the leadership components that we curate for them um, in developing some of the digital and um, some data literacy skills, um, as well as some of the financial um, literacy. So, um, and it's amazing, um, again, being able to see where the interest is and then being able to curate content, not only based on their general needs, but not only kind of, um, you know, tailored to the cohort, but even tailored to their specific uh, role. Yeah, we're able to look at some search terms that, that learners put into the platform. And, and uh, you know, we have uh, one of the most commonly searched terms is Excel. And that's a tool that everybody uses, right? And, and also time management, which is interesting, like how you manage your time to fit everything that you want to do into your day is another very popular search term. And we're able to share a lot of that insight with, uh, with uh, clients like Lana so that they can tailor their programs to their learners. Can you, do you have a sense of how much of the content is hard skill development versus soft skill, you know, Excel versus time management or empathy or listening? Uh, yeah, in our, in, in, um, um, yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, among our top courses, I would say in aggregate, it's about 50, 50. Sure. So about, about 50, 50 in yeah. aggregate. So, yeah. so being a good listener is actually one of our top rated courses. 
Um, you know, we have a lot of communication teamwork courses. And, um, and so many companies that are our clients have communication and empathy as a, you know, as a, as a core competency that they want inside their organization as a, as a you know, value. And so as a result, a lot of learners from a lot across a lot of organizations take things like that ethics, how to, uh, you know, how to prevent uh, workplace harassment. We have a lot of those types of courses as well that are really popular. And on the technology side, Python basics is the most popular of the pure technologies. And then uh, as Lana was saying, data science overviews are also, we have a course called data science overview. That's a very popular course for us. Um, you know, and then, and then, and then you can go down the line. There are a lot of certifications that we offer as well. Technical certifications, cloud, Azure, uh, AWS, and, um, and, uh, those types of, of things that are also very popular. That's terrific. That's terrific. Wow. Soft skills, hard skills, you know, technical skills, coding. I mean, this is everything in one place. That's pretty wild that you're able to do that. What's the yeah. cultural change? Like to get people excited, to get them to take to learn, like what's required? Yeah, and a, and a follow-up to that, like, did you apply gamification principles to incent leadership at Special Olympics to take these courses, or, or how did you how did you create energy and buzz around leadership and excellence? Which, frankly, or they're all ex-athletes; they're highly competitive. Yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a, definitely a component. Definitely, um, it, we, you know, there was some culture change for sure, and and you have to realize that. Um, it is a very diverse group of people who are, who are engaging, right? Um, um, I think one of the points that was truly revolutionary in addition to um, sort of just instilling that culture and, and making and, and, and being able to provide the curated material was the, um, the, the, um, the introduction of the app. Um, so that was quite a recent development. And prior to that, the, uh, all of this content was available, um, it was accessible um, online, but through the computer through laptop and um, we we saw that it was definitely a much lower uptake um, among our um, um, our audiences and then when the app was introduced and that allowed uh, you know it's obviously then tailored into the overall lifestyle right that people have nowadays so being able to listen to the um, content on the go in the car on, on their mobile when they're waiting and stuff like that that really um, we see that that has driven the, yeah. the number of participants in taking has it created a more of a community environment um uh you know when i read something or when i listen to something or watch something that's interesting immediately i share it on twitter and uh, so twitter has become my personal learning network mm. I, like it's the largest community college in the world because i'm learning from venture capitalists startup founders folks like yourself so this spirit of when you learn, teach, and when one teaches, to learn. Have you, have you sensed that the leadership across 200 countries are becoming more of a family, community, more of a connected ecosystem as a result of this uh, access to a platform that delivers all this incredible learning? Um, this, this is certainly um, our long-term vision. Um, as we're thinking about the sustainability of, um, of our capacity building efforts at Special Olympics, this is certainly we're looking to utilize more and more the platform. And that would be our hope where um, these are the communities of practice, these are the online um, or 
communities where the like-minded um, can interact, can share that learning. Um, and it's, it's very much the peer-to-peer -peer learning itself is very much embedded in, our, um, in the structure of our leadership academy. So we certainly look to continue that. I, I, I can't say there, there's some uh, more, more or less one-off um, instances where some leaders would share something you know, really right. exciting that they've seen. Yeah, but not to the scale, but that's the direction where we're looking to that's go. Awesome. Yeah, and one of the things that we're about to launch, and uh, we were just meeting with the Special Olympics about this the other day, is a badging capability inside the platform. So that mm -hmm. as you learn something, you're able to share uh, your accomplishment. And mm -hmm. we're, we're using um, an open badge standard for this so that the badges are portable and shareable on Twitter or on other, on other platforms on LinkedIn and, and uh, Facebook or any kind of social platform. And an interesting tidbit about our research is we've been doing a lot of, of uh, work with customers. We have a, a large uh, UX group that spends a lot of time with our users and our, our, our administrators. And, uh, and, you know, when you can share your recognition off with 140 different platforms, right? We have the ability to share a badge on 140 platforms. Guess what people say is the number one thing they're going to do? Email it to their manager. Yeah. No. <laughs> the, the first thing they'll do, Why? and then they'll do everything else. Yeah. So a lot of it is about you know pride in the accomplishment, Absolutely. and uh, so we're going to be rolling that out soon with Special Olympics and our other customers. So uh, yeah, that'll help create that that trigger and reward cycle. That's so we're important. Gonna get this, we're gonna get this in the blockchain too while we're at it here. It is. It is. <laughs> yeah. The one that we're doing, the the badges that we're doing are actually independently verified through a blockchain. Oh, wow. That's important. Yeah, the reason that that's important is because we want the learners to take it with them. We want it to belong to the learners. So if the learners no longer access, you know, no longer working with Special Olympics, so they can't access Percipio, they have to be able to verify it outside of this platform. And so it's able to be independently verified. Yeah. Wow. This is the future of education. I believe that given um, the trajectory of learning, um, and frankly, traditional universities are not producing a good product. It's too expensive and can't be finished on time. Uh, that <laughs> over time will have more value, especially for digital native companies that value education regardless of where it is, um, where it's sourced from. As long as it's credited, so having it on a distributed ledger verified by Skillsoft, I think is important. But that's the future of education. So I, I think you're on the absolute right path. In my home wow, life. we're here with we're here with our supernova award winners, Lana Fenichel, and of course Petula Kresomalis, uh, talking about what's going on with the Special Olympics, uh, the special award that they actually won at the Supernova Awards, and more importantly, understanding what's next, what's hot. Uh, so thank you so much for being on the show, and happy Friday. You were terrific. Happy Friday, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you for teaching us. That was awesome. Uh, yeah, it's 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 inspiring to see large scale global organizations lean into. Uh, the principle of diversity, inclusion, and, and continuous improvement. You know, that's what every company, every organization needs to do. They also, every organization, every company needs to be uh, data-driven. And so we're going to end our uh, session with one of our favorite guests, a thought leader in terms of advanced analytics and, and data to decision research, Doug Henshin, Vice President, Principal Analyst at Constellation Research, who focuses on data-driven decision-making processes, his research examines how organizations employ data analysis to imagine their business models and gain a deeper understanding of their customers. You can follow Doug on Twitter at D-H-E-N-S-C-H-E-N. Welcome back, Doug, to Disrupt TV. Thank you, Paula. Thank you, Ray. 
Great having hey, you. Hey, long, long time no see. Actually, yeah. Doug and I were hanging out earlier in New Jersey, uh, actually in the, the city uh, yesterday. But hey, look, what's on your research agenda? You got some hot stuff coming. It's uh, all very pertinent to a lot of folks thinking about this thing around embedded analytics. Why is that so hot? What's going on with that? Yeah, it's totally research season. I haven't been on a plane since uh, AWS reInvent in early December. I, I don't know how much my uh, wife and son like it, but uh, it's, it's great for getting a lot of writing done. That's great. So, uh, yeah, uh, embedded. Um, it, it's really embedded analytics uh, sounds complicated, but really it's it's something as simple as Uber and Lyft. If you've used Uber and Lyft, that's embedded analytics. You open the app and you see how soon that ride is gonna arrive. Uh, when you uh, step into the car, you see your ETA of when you're gonna get there. You, you have your cost right there in the context of the application. That's embedded analytics. And so my report is about how uh, this has really been something uh, that's been focused on independent software vendors uh, heretofore mainly, um, companies that are embedding BI and mostly traditional BI and analytics Here's your reporting capability. Here's your dashboarding capability into their apps. And it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way to speed that development work. It's a way to simplify maintaining that within the app. Um, but we're increasingly seeing end user organizations. Uh, what Svetlana, uh, what Lana was just talking about was Skillsoft. They turn to the Skillsoft platform to embed that capability into their application. And what we're seeing is many more end user organizations um, building their own software, building their own data-driven services. Now, there's a saying these days that every company is a software company. I think that's a big overstatement. Um, what we see is with, is leaders and, and fast followers doing it. Um, and but they so they want to put analytics into these apps and having a platform that they can draw on is a big um, uh, time saver for them and helps them over time maintain that analytical capability. You know, more and more the, the, the window between data and decision, or, or let's say data to action, so this data to decision to action is shrinking. The, the expectations from stakeholders is near real time value. And you know, you gotta be within two clicks of where I, what I need to know and where I need to go and what I need to learn. So. You know, as, as you shrink the time from data to decision to action or creation of value for a stakeholder, as that shrinks, does that mean if I fast forward to 2030, I'm going to take you a decade from now, it's Disrupt TV episode 1013, and you're on the show, uh, the 100th... Uh, 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 we have our bots, though, remember? Yeah. Like, it won't be us. It'll be like these, like, you know, like icons of us or robots that look like us. And, and, our, and our hair will be completely black still, too. It's amazing. Well, you still have hair. Doug and I will be all gone by then. But, but, um, but will, will reports and dashboards be gone by then? Well, we're already seeing this trend. I think today you see companies... Um, you know, they have, you, you go off to this separate analytic, analytical inter, interface um, and you do your analysis there and then you go back to your transactional app. That's part of what uh, embedding is eroding. Mm -hmm. And if you add in the augmented analytics trend where AI and ML start to help you understand what's going on. Well, if you have a, if you have a good confidence level, um, why not automate that? So uh, it'll be much more the exceptions. So uh, things okay, that so need that human interpretation. So, okay, so you the get the right idea of all of that's, that's where it's going. It's going from portals with 
reports and dashboards to embedding it right within the app, maybe a, a viz, but more and more what is really great is concise analytic, maybe just the, that little chart, that little uh, KPI right there at the point of the decision within the app. That's really where, um, where this is headed. And the reports and dashboards will capture exceptions. So, you know, these are all of the, you know, abnormal behaviors observed in a, in, in maybe a trend. And if you want to, as a supervisor or a manager or someone that's overseeing the operation, you simply click into the exception based reporting and then you get specific, you know, recommendations in terms of Actually, I'm thinking more that the report and the dashboard will be there for historical value. Uh, maybe the dashboard there for the quick look at somebody who's just wanting to monitor the situation. But for those who are doing that work, the yep. exception will be surfaced right there in the transactional yes. not application, yeah. not yeah. in a separate analytical interface. Yeah, I so agree. it's right there with the context of the work that they're doing. They don't need to navigate or swivel chair between uh, their transactional application. So that exception would be surfaced right there in, in the work itself. Yeah. Um, and you see innovators, um, you know, doing this all over the place. Um, it's, it's almost uh, Super Bowl season here. Uh, you can't have escaped this, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers with their, <laughs> with their app of the, yeah. uh, you know, their don't mess with my discount, right? That is an embedded analytic. Yeah. And, and in this case, uh, State Farm is a fast follower. You know, uh, uh, Geico and Progressive did this a couple of years ago. Right. So State Farm is there being a fast follower, but that's what they're doing. This is an app. It's not an analytic. It's not a report. It's not a dashboard. Nope, nope. Um, it's But it's right there in the app. He can see where, whether his discount is uh, uh, being threatened. Uh, and this is not, next best uh, action. This yeah, is next exactly. best action right there. It's amazing. And, yeah. and, and I, I, Irina was our first guest. So you're talking about using different space around you to, to display insights and, and recommendations. When I say 2030, is it even an app? Are we, is, is it, is it, is it, is it, uh, you know, something that surfaces on your smart glass? You talk about contact lenses. Plugging oh, it into your skull, man. Yeah. <laughs> could be a heads up like display this. on the windscreen of the car. <laughs> uh, could be something that pops up in your, in your, uh, on you your smart Pico glasses or your, lens. Or your contact lens. So it's not your OS Android typical app. When we think apps, we're thinking you're going to a smart device and you're actually, you're pulling information, but in the future, this, you're in, in this, as Ray says, ambient computing, infinite ambient computing orchestrated such that information is pushed to you just in time, you know, at, at the speed of thought, uh, where you can course correct, understand exceptions, understand next recommended action to get better outcomes without you going and launching an app on your smart device. It just proactively gets to you. Is that, is that Yes, push can be much more of the experience, particularly if you're, you're not in an analytic application, you're in your work application. Right. All right, where you're doing your work done. And if this is something, you know, people can build analytics into apps themselves. The, the reason for this research was yeah. a report on the capabilities available from BI and analytics platforms that are separate. Yeah. Um, the point is that you don't have to go off to this separate world. It's embedded right there yeah. in the application. And so, you know, the sky's the limit on, on how that will change. Uh, the point of my research was, you know, getting to what you need to make that happen. You, you, need, uh, you need things like 
a microservices architecture, um, look for low code, no code development capabilities, look for that ability to embed in, in a mobile experience. But the key thing uh, that my report gets at is licensing. Um, because if your vendor is stuck on per user per month licensing, that's not necessarily gonna cut it. I mean, as, as Lana was talking about uh, and, and Skillsoft, you know, they wanna get it out to everybody in, involved with uh, Special Olympics, you know, yeah. per user per month is not gonna cut it. You need CPU, you need usage, you need volume, you need to, to look at some sort of flexible model for a truly distributed uh, analytical environment. I mean, we talk about self-service today, but if you really wanna get data-driven decision-making to everybody, everybody is a lot of seats. And so uh, you, we're gonna see not only technology differences, we're gonna see licensing differences, and that's crucial. All right, switching topics here. Um, there's some report I'm supposed to get out that I haven't gotten out yet. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Along with your short list, Ray, Aubrey says. Uh, oh no, those are done. Those are done at four in the morning. So where, what is this AI study, um, which you were one of the architects of? So yeah, um, uh, we've been surveying folks, study. this is our third year. So go it's for it. coming out soon. Um, you know, I think the notable stats, uh, 83% of our respondents, and these were mostly CXOs, 83% have deployed AI in some form. Uh, the caveat there is that, you know, AI is not one thing, it's many things. It's machine learning, which has been around a long, long time. Mm -hmm. It's deep learning, which is sort of at the, you know, and neural nets are sort of at the cutting edge of this sort of modeling sort of world. It's, it's natural language interfaces, all these bots and uh, you know, uh, human interactive experiences, it's machine vision, it, it's really many things. So 83% having some form of AI in play, not a surprise. Um, another key stat, 56% uh, of, of our respondents say they want to automate, that that's a key goal. Um, and meanwhile, when I go to a lot of vendor shows, uh, sometimes they're, oh, no, don't worry, it's not gonna replace humans. Um, you know, a lot of times I think that is, again, companies that are selling software per seat, um, they, they want to reassure that would kind of go against their interests to be saying it's going to replace people. Um, if you go to a, a new part of my uh, research domain is intelligent uh, process automation, you know, the RPA vendors, AI, uh, orchestration, a lot of these technologies are coming together. Um, and I, I think if you talk to vendors in that community, they very much want to be replacing work hours. They're not necessarily saying they want to replace jobs, but they certainly want to be replacing tasks. In some cases, they are replacing uh, 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 many jobs and they're, and they're proud about it. Uh, I was at a, a IPA or a RPA event last year and these uh, end user companies were crowing about how many hours they were replacing and one large telco, a global telco, was talking about sort of the differences in how they had to couch that job replacement. In Europe, where these uh, customer service rep jobs were kind of protected, um, they were shifting work. Uh, in South America, where they couldn't keep people in the job, they were simply, as those employees would attrit, they would replace them with digital workers. So there's, there's gonna be a, a change in psyche about jobs. Um, this week, uh, uh, you know, there's certainly controversy about it. Uh, you know, the, the CEO of uh, Google was uh, saying on Sunday that 
you know, we should regulate AI, but I think he's, he's kind of getting out ahead of the politics. I think a lot of these uh, regulations are inevitable. Um, we're coming up to Davos uh, last week, and I think he's just kind of beating them to the punch of talking about this and getting ahead of uh, coming regulation. Uh, you know, I don't know any major research firm uh, that's projecting a net negative in terms of job jobs as a, as a result of AI. You know, even I think Gartner said 75 million at risk, but 133 million new. So will Constellation be one of the first research firms that projects a net negative as an impact of AI in near term or long term? Um, I am, I'm not projecting any such thing. I, I am very positive about the changes that this brings. Just different it brings about new that. jobs. Look, we're in an environment today with three and a half percent unemployment. Right. Um, we're finding and population declines. We want to population find jobs. We want to find enriching work. Uh, I'm I'm not afraid of of uh, the consequences. I think we're creative and we're going to find yeah. uh, ways to work with technology, not uh, have it be an adversarial situation. Well, Right. I mean, uh, the, the other way to look at this is we've got global population decline forecasted 20 years from now. China's population dynamics are going to look like this. India is going to flatten out over time, right? The U.S. is still going to be kind of like, you know, it's growing, but not in the replacement population numbers. Europe is down. Latin America will also flatten out. So what is going to happen is, is this concept of really, do we go fully, as, as Doug was saying, intelligent automation, or do we augment the machine with the human so they can learn from the human, or do we augment the human with the machine so that we can actually move faster, or do I actually trust human judgment, right? And that's gonna be the biggest question in a decade is like, where do I, when do I trust human judgment versus what's happening in the machine? And do we train the machines and the humans at the same time? Because if we don't, we're going to lose intuition and the humans and the machines are going to learn, not going to learn the nuance. And, and I think, think that's going to be very, very important. Do you, think we've had, do you think we've had honest dialogue in terms of impact of automation and autonomy in, in, in business? Do you feel like, you know, so the Google C C CEO did uh, first day of Davos talk about regulating AI, but we work with a lot of you know companies that outsource call centers, and as someone who ran call centers for ten years, I actually think fifty percent of call center functions can be fully automated uh, with the technology we have right now. Uh, so, but are we? Do we? Do we hear companies really talk about how much automation will significantly impact with chatbots and live agents and and you know uh, ability to really uh, you know return material authorizations as an example. In my prior company, that was almost 50% of all transactions into a call center. That's a pretty simple decision tree that I have no doubt today could be 99% automated. So it will impact, unless you can reskill your, for example, service employees, it could very much impact headcount. Oh, yeah. Especially if you're oh, yeah. driven and you, you know. Oh, definitely. But uh, I wouldn't look at the call center as the only place where jobs exist. I mean, that sure. organization doesn't exist in a vacuum. Sure. Um, absolutely. Uh, and it's going to be that scenario that what Ray was talking about where there's pure automation, there's automation aided by humans, there's humans aided by automation, and then there's pure, per, per, pure human. Um, it, the augmentation is going to have an impact on all of that. And right. I don't think we can bury our head in the sand. Right. I don't think it is very right. honest and helpful to say, oh, this isn't going to replace jobs. I, I had an uh, interesting conversation last night. Ray was there uh, with exec from IPsoft talking about 
let's talk about tasks. Let's not talk about jobs. Jobs mm. kind of politicizes it. If you look at the tasks that automation can handle, it's very much tasks that humans really don't want to do or cannot do. If we right. talk well, about it, could it be part of the dirty terms, job I series. think it's more helpful. <laughs> yeah. right. So, right. But hey, we were here with Doug Henschen. We're almost out of time. He's got the last word, right? AI is not going to replace all your jobs, some of your skills, some of your tasks. We're going to see something new out there. Check out this new AI report and also follow Doug at D Henschen, D-H-E-N-S. H-E-N-S-C-H-E-N. He's our Vice President of Principal Analyst. And thanks a lot for covering Data Decisions. Happy Friday, Doug. Thanks, Thank Doug. you. Thanks, Doug, everyone. I, Doug, I would love to feature the AI study on a Z, for, in a ZDNet article. So if you're still listening, please please let me uh, get, uh, get a hold of the report. <laughs> it's sitting it's... with me. I've got to get this thing out the door. <laughs> that's a, that, that's a ZDNet but article. Hey, who do we have? Episode 176. Who's coming along Friday, here? We have Kira Mac, uh, Chief Mission Officer at Ring Central. We have Scott Britton, co-founder of Troops AI, and we have one of the smartest people I know. Talk about visualization. He's got the best infographics to describe technology and business model innovation. Dion Hinchcliffe, Vice President, Principal Analyst at Constellation Research. By the way, his latest ZDNet article talked about the relationship of CMOs and CIOs and how they can better partner to deliver better outcomes in business, a must read with, again, fantastic graphics. So he'll be here next week and we'll talk about that as well. Uh, Ray, hey. uh, I know you've been traveling around the globe as usual, uh, closing remarks. Hey, we've got an awesome lineup coming up for the next six months. I reached out to something about 40 to 50 startup CEOs, early adopters, and they're all dying to get on. And so we're gonna start scheduling. So watch out for some exciting show programming coming up. So what about you, Vala? Uh, I just found out that you and I are going to be keynoting at a same conference uh, in February, and that was uh, great to hear at Conga. So I'm uh, yes. Thursday. In Orlando, yep. <laughs> so we'll, our paths will awesome. person in February, so I'm happy. <laughs> oh, very, very cool. So, all right, well, awesome. Um, I think Thursday is the Ambient Experience Summit, too. So we'll, we'll catch up. So awesome. anyways, hey, it's Friday. It's Disrupt TV. Thanks a lot for being on the show, everybody. See you. Bye-bye.